And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Hey, welcome to Chewing the Fat. So, this story I just I just read, and I, it's agonizing. Now, it happened in the United Kingdom, of course. But it just is one of those stories that jumps out at me like we're supposed to feel good about it, but I don't. All right, so there's a town in Wales by the name of Aberhausen, uh, A-B-E-H-O-S-A-N. And every day they were baffled in this town because their broadband internet service cut off every day at about the same time. So after a multitude of tests, the network replacing cables didn't solve any of the town's problems. So engineers for the company that runs the UK's digital network settled on a last-ditch theory. There must be an old appliance emitting electrical interference and disrupting the internet signal. Oh, so why don't they figure out how to work around that? But instead, they got themselves a spectrum analyzer, who doesn't have one of those, and they walked around the village to try to find that electrical noise. About an hour, the device picked up this large burst of electrical interference. The culprit? An outdated TV set. Now, the source of the electrical noise was traced to the property in the village. It turned out that at 7 a.m. every morning, the occupant would switch on their old TV, which would in turn knock out the broadband for the entire village. Now, in this story, it says the mortified residents had no idea their TV was causing so much trouble and immediately agreed to switch it off and not use again. Um, how about no? So according to the story, the TV's retirement uh, ended all the internet issues in the town and the company advised the public to make sure their appliances, such as microwaves and outdoor lights, meet current electrical standards to avoid similar situations. Here's my idea. How about no? Uh, you're this big company and you can't figure out a way Where one TV, an older TV, gets turned on and it cuts off your broadband. I, uh, no. A, you know, maybe I shut it off if you provide me with a brand new 80-inch TV and internet service for the rest of my life. Or until I move out of this address, whichever comes first. I mean, sorry. Uh, sorry, you guys can't figure out a way around my old TV, but I have to turn my old TV off for you? Again, I say, for the third time. Uh, no, and I close the door. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. All right. I'm not sure what good it will do, but the headlines are all the MTA board to officially ban pooping in subways and buses. Yay! Well, wait. The Metropolitan Transit Authority's board is formally planned to ban defecating on its subways, buses, and transit facilities. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Sure, it's already barred under current rules with a subject to a $100 fine. Uh, for creating a nuisance, hazard, or unsanitary conditions. Uh, You know, they can get you for spitting or urinating, but I guess they're just specifically going to add defecating onto the list. So, I will say that I uh, took the subway from time to time when I worked in New York for a few years. You know, I didn't take it every day, but I did take it. I mean, there are times when it's an easy way to get around the city. And, you know, when it's raining or it's cold outside and you want to go, instead of walking, you know, six blocks, you hop on a quick subway that takes you up and close, whatever. And, you know, you put your money on your MTA card and through the turnstile, you go. I never saw poop on the actual train. I don't recall ever seeing poop on the platform. I did see poop on a stairway going, leading into and out of the subway itself. But not, (laughs) I know, (laughs) but that was what, five, six, seven years ago. So, you know, times are, times have changed. (laughs) 
cities are getting poop everywhere times have changed so apparently it's gotten so bad right we, we i remember uh talking about the workers uh union the transport workers union launched a trash train photo contest uh last year to highlight the filth and protest uh, cuts to the cleaning crews so you know they've had complaints surging for over a year now of uh you know dirty disgusting subway cars and uh a lot of uh worsening conditions so anyway i don't know if it'll do any good by them actually adding it to the list but uh there you have it i mean good news coming out of new york everybody's worried about restaurants closing and businesses being boarded up and nobody's working (laughs) silly (laughs) now they're gonna add you know pooping defecating to its list of things you can get fined for and uh sure i mean you're a guy that's pooping on a subway car you're worried about that hundred dollar fine aren't you and even if you are i mean mark cuban said that he wants to give every american household a thousand bucks a thousand bucks every two weeks yay i'm for that now i'm not sure if the guy pooping on the subway car has a household i'm not sure if mark you know says hey the box on sixth avenue and 42nd street is your home so you get a thousand bucks every two weeks but you know maybe you do so maybe what he's talking about though is uh you know giving everybody a stimulus payment a thousand bucks direct payment every two weeks for two months and they'd have 10 days to spend the cash and he's he's hawked this idea before and I get it. You know, give everybody the money, and if they don't spend it, you lose it, right? You put it, you give it, get a card or however they want to do it, and you get your thousand bucks every two weeks. You spend it, and you move on with your life. If you don't spend it, you lose it, right? So I don't know if his plan is say if I get a thousand bucks now and I only spend eight hundred, do I get eight hundred dollars the next two weeks or does the two hundred go away? Not quite sure how that debit card is going to work. I don't know that he's worked out those details yet. Maybe he has. I don't know. But uh, good luck. And if you're uh, every household in America, according to the Mark Cuban plan, which I could be a fan of, uh, gets uh, gets every American household a thousand bucks every two weeks for two months. So you get four thousand bucks, and you got to spend it or lose it. Guess what? I'm spending it. Every day we find out something else could kill us. And today, it's black licorice. I know. (laughs) You think, wait, what? Black licorice? Yeah. BLLM, my friends. Black licorice lives matter too. All right. So apparently the problem is in the glyceric acid. Glyceric. Wait, what? Glyceric. Glyceric. All right, I got it, I got it. Glycerizic uh, acid found in black licorice and many, many other foods, by the way, uh, because they there's supplements containing licorice root extract. Oh, okay. Apparently, it causes dangerously low potassium and imbalances in other minerals called electrolytes. Eating as little as two ounces of black licorice a day for two weeks could cause a heart rhythm problem, especially for folks over 40. Ooh, I could be uh, in trouble. I'm not a big fan of black licorice, but I like it. I mean, I like licorice, but it's more than licorice sticks. Could be jelly beans, licorice teas, a lot of things over the counter, even some beers, the Belgian beers. Chewing tobaccos have a little bit of it in it. Okay. Now, of course, this man's death was clearly an extreme case, and he switched from red fruit flavored twist to the black licorice version a few weeks before his death he collapsed after lunch they brought him back to life and then he died the next day very sad but the fda says they permit 3.1 percent of the food's content to have glycerizic acid but many candies and other licorice products don't reveal how much is contained per ounce now i just want to be clear that a spokesman for the Hershey Company, which makes the popular Twizzlers licorice twists, said in an email, all of our products are safe to eat 
and formulated in full compliance with FDA regulations, and that all foods, including candy, should be enjoyed, say it with me, moderation. Okay. Thank you, Hershey's. We got it. Everything in moderation. I mean, who doesn't live their life that way? And who doesn't live their life wanting to save some money? So, when you've had the same car insurance or homeowner's insurance for years, you kind of get trapped into paying your premiums and not thinking about it. That makes it uh, really easy to uh, overpay, and you're not even realizing it. So, stop overpaying for car and homeowner's insurance. How about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have? Thanks to Gabby. Sounds great, I know. (laughs) Right? So Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apple comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. Just link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have. It's totally free. There's no obligation. Stop overpaying on your car and home insurance. Go to Gabby dot com slash fisher g-a-b-i dot com slash fisher gabby customers save 825 dollars on average per year if they can't find your savings they're going to let you know so you can relax knowing you've got the best rate don't just take my word for it olivia taylor saved 322 dollars ian baines saved 954 dollars He claims absolutely fantastic service. They found us identical coverage for our auto and condo insurance. I highly recommend their service. And they'll never sell your info. So no annoying spam or robocalls. I know. And did I mention Trevor Brooks? Yeah, Trevor Brooks. A commercial came on for Gabby while he was working. So he figured, why not? He got the same insurance coverage for literally a third of the price. He said he was beyond happy. Yeah, he saved $2,634 a year. My favorite thing, well, one of them anyway, other than saving money, it's free. You check your rate, there's no obligation. Take a few minutes right now and stop overpaying on car and home insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash Fisher. Gabby, G-A-B-I dot com slash Fisher. Start saving today gabby.com slash fisher okay just a quick just a quick comment about this whole uh peaceful transfer of power after the election i can't take it i see where mcconnell is starting trying to call out president trump i see where uh what's his face from florida uh is trying to call out uh, trump senator rubio uh we got it all right that's not what he meant and that's not what he what he really said. I mean, it's driving all of you crazy, I know. But look, you're the, the, the there's a majority. Well, no, no, let's, let me rephrase. Let me back up for just a second, okay? All right. The I wouldn't. I wish Trump would just stop talking about it. Really, he should have stopped talking about it a long time ago. But that's another story. Uh, there's going to be a transition. All right. What the problem is, is that there's so much possibility of fraud that we're talking about right after the election. Why do we, first of all, <laughs> I back up again. I know I'm, I'm bogging this all because it pissed me off. I see McConnell and Rubio and they're all, of course, there's going to be a peaceful transfer of power. There's been a peaceful transfer of power since 1792. We know there's been a peaceful transfer of power. We got it. Okay. But you see Senator McConnell Senator Rubio, that the possibility for fraud is abounding across the country. States are giving days after the election that mail-in ballots could be counted. So why are we going to announce what the totals are on election night? From the, I don't think we should. I, I, I'm, 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 re, I'm rethinking the whole. You know, the press will go crazy, and of course there'll be leaks, but I think that we shouldn't announce the totals 
publicly from the ballot until the time frame is over for all the mail-in ballots to be counted and that way the it drops the chance of fraud down a little bit so that if you see that oh you know uh, we're short uh, 8,000 votes oh look what we just found in this trunk here 8,001 votes I just I just think that the possibility for fraud is abounding. So vote, your vote counts, and then, you know, we'll announce who the winner is. Of course, there's going to be a peaceful transition. But those of you that think after the election, right after the election in November, that whoever wins takes over, you're wrong. Uh, You know, unless it's Trump, because he's already president of the United States and he will just continue on, but he gets reaffirmed as the president in January. So the only way that I think you're going to have a peaceful time around the election, not a transfer of power, but a peaceful time around the election is if one or the other candidates wins by an overwhelming landslide. And why take the opportunity to have this huge battle over votes on November 3rd? When we just say, okay, we're going to take your votes in and then we're going to count them and they've been uh, verified and they're stamped and they're in. And then at the end of whatever, four days after Wisconsin, 80 days after uh, California, whatever the time frame is that these states are laying out Michigan and Pennsylvania, whatever the time frame is that they've said, your vote still counts as long as it's dated on the envelope that it was mailed on November 3rd. Well, then we'll give you those days and we're not going to announce the total and the winner until that date. And you can all just go back and put your tail between your legs and suck on your big toe And all you press people won't be able to stand it that you don't have the actual numbers. Hi, how you doing? Welcome to Chewing the Fat. (laughs) All right, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry because I really got, I couldn't believe, I see Rubio there, you know, I get alerts. Marco Rubio said, of course, there's going to be people transferred to Dower. Mitch McConnell, I'm taped after the president. He said, of course, there's going to be a president transferred to power. Just drives me crazy but it's no big deal that uh you know today if you're listening live on the 24th of september uh the candidate for the democratic power party took another day off i'm just gonna take the time i'm just gonna take another day don't worry about it we're locked down in the basement but nobody worry about it everything's fine it's donald trump that's crazy okay it's donald trump that's losing his mind oh okay it's donald trump that's having medical issues oh okay is he working every day 12 to 16 hours a day maybe more and yet uh the democratic uh candidate joe biden uh has taken and i mean this weekend he took a day a big day off locked it down right uh then he had a pretty good day he was all medicated up the last couple days and now he's locked down again uh could be getting sick amazing (laughs) we see the videos of him coughing and everything's happening i guarantee you I don't guarantee it as much as eating my underwear, but I just, I believe, let me rephrase that. I believe that there is no way that the debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden takes place this coming Tuesday, the 29th of September, 2020. Take that to the chewing the fat bank. And of course, if it happens then, you know, hey, the bank was shut down, coronavirus. What do you want from me? (laughs) i just i don't see it i don't see it happening i really don't and uh we've been right about a lot of things here on chewing the fat and i i believe that i'm going to be right about this now i know i we already talked about it i know that uh, james wood tweeted out that he's going to get coronavirus and not do it and that's exactly what i was saying in my house uh weeks before so i believe my house is bugged so i'm just gonna put it on the air now instead of saying it just in my house without without any recordings or me knowing having access to the recordings that are being recorded in my house i'm just gonna put it on chewing the fat so that every so it's out there so it's documented okay all right (laughs) 
with your jokes it'll swallow it down easy i got it i'm laughing at my own joke I'm not, i didn't even do the joke it's just the line so uh before look before i talk about uh a story that has really kind of gotten under my craw for the last i'm not under my craw just weird right and it makes sense that uh, we're being recorded everywhere we go uh let me remind you to subscribe to this podcast chewing the fat if you're listening to this show right now and you're not a subscriber to the podcast, what are you doing? I mean, stop being just a, you know, a low life freeloader. Okay. You want to be a subscription freeloader and then you can have your, put your nose up in the air a little bit. And yes, I'm a, I'm a subscription freeloader loser. What are you just a dirt bag freeloader? So subscribe Choose a platform. I don't care. iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Spotify, whatever, whatever platform warms the cockles of your little innards and uh, subscribe to Chewing the Fat. Thank you. Your subscription means a lot to me. Others, it may not mean a lot to, but to me, it means a great deal. And you can hold your nose high in the air knowing that you are a subscription freeloader. Okay, so I read the story that the average American is recorded by security cameras 238 times each week. And I think, well, that's interesting. I wonder if that's, uh, that's interesting. Is there a number somebody could call? Uh, I wonder how, that, how they break that down. So I break into the story to find how it breaks down. Now, because of that, all I can think of is the song, I Always Feel Like Somebody's Watching Me. And I wonder, how long ago was that song? Okay, so it <laughs> It was from Rockwell in 1984. Funny how that's the year, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, funny. Anyway, so that got me thinking about the song Rockwell and what started it and how it happened. So apparently Rockwell is Barry Gordy's son, who was you know the, the founder, the head guy of Motown. And he was trying to be a singer and Barry didn't think much of his son's singing abilities and his uh, artist abilities. But being a wise and smart and genius man that he was, heard the song from his son and said, that's going to be a hit. And it was all over the world. And that was in 1984. Somebody's watching me. All right. So now fast forward to 2020. Okay. According to a report, by safety.com. They find surveillance technology is spreading to every corner of the globe. Uh, really? Thank you. There are about a billion security cameras filming worldwide. All right. Wow. I mean, they. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to lie to you. They estimate that there's going to be a billion security cameras filming worldwide by 2021. So I'm sure that may be there's probably a billion now. Um, between 10 and 18% of those devices will be in the United States. Okay. Cameras in China watching their population, they figure is 4.6 people. Four, no, I'm sorry. There's going to be one camera for every 4.6 people in the United States. In China, they've got us be just a little bit coming in at number one. One camera for every 4.1 people in China. Not that big of a human. <laughs> 0.5 of a human above at number one. Wow. So they say that most of the weekly surveillance happens on the road. Average American filmed 160 times while driving. And, you know, because they have cameras at intersections. Almost every, almost every intersection. And they're using it for, you know, 
traffic purposes. Uh-huh. Now, they don't know, and they don't, they don't know this. They don't know if it's being recorded or if it's just on and passively viewing or if, you know, because they have it on and they're watching it to traffic and make sure that somebody there's a big accident, they could reroute, that kind of thing. They know what's going on. Or if they, I wonder if some of the cities probably are recording and then if nothing happens in a 24-hour period, it gets recorded over, allegedly. Uh, but, or if they have to hit record, right? So if it's just, it's a camera that's on, something happens, hit record. So anything after you hit the record is recorded. So, but you're still on the camera, but you're not being documented on the camera yet. Okay, so researchers find that the average employee is filmed 40 times a week at or around the office. If you work in a retail store or in transportation, you're on film hundreds of times every week in comparison with people working where there's just a single security camera at the entrance. Wow. So the average consumer in the U.S. under surveillance 24 times while out shopping and running errands, according to, according to these people at, what is their stupid thing again? Safety.com. I'll give them their credit. It's not a stupid thing. I'm stupid for not remembering safety.com. So the study finds that one of the biggest increases in surveillance is in the person's own house. Well, duh, we've got, everybody's got their security cameras up, right? I mean, simply safe, uh, is one of the leaders in home surveillance and one of the best, but there are plenty of other companies that give you uh, cameras on everything you own around your home. And not only counting, I don't know that it mentions it in this story, but let's not forget about your phone and your laptop and other computer devices. Oh, that, that doesn't count. No. Okay, good. No problem. So, all right. Uh, if the average American on film 14 times a week in their house, and neighborhood, I would say that number is probably larger than that. But, okay, we'll give it to safety.com and say that's true. Okay. Uh, in the past, they say in the story, researchers believe this number was closer to zero. Well, yeah, duh. Uh, you know, back in 1910, there wasn't a camera around. Yeah, no kidding. So... In 2016, there was a survey that said the majority of U.S. residents believe they're only being recorded about five times a day. That's probably true in 2016. Maybe it was getting up there now. Uh, but by that time, you know, you were starting to uh, you were starting to see cameras everywhere. And, you know, gas stations and stores all still had it at that time. I mean, way back in. I mean, even when Rockwell came out in 1984. I always feel like somebody's watching me. I remember a good friend of mine at the time saying he just lives his life like he's always on camera. And that's a good, uh, that's a, I was just a good way. And really, for those of us that work at The Blaze and Mercury and uh, other entertainment workplaces, you are on camera, you know, a lot more than 238 times each week. No question about it. And for longer periods of time. But just remember that and if they're they're saying that if you travel by airplane or work in high security areas you're likely on film over a thousand times a week well again duh but this just reminds everyone uh if the average american and i don't know that there's an average american anymore but let's just say an average american is recorded by security cameras 238 times each week according to this report from safety.com i'm willing to bet I'm not going to, you know, it's not my, it's not my debate bet, but I'm willing to bet here on chewing the fat that it's more than that because depending on your neighborhood, holy cow, I mean, there's, there's not very many places you can go anymore without being on some sort of security camera. But might be able to made out. Maybe you turned the corner and your neighbor's garage camera caught you and they're not sure that it's you. But remember, when you see those videos of people, if you, we can identify this person, but if you know this person, say, you know, please let us know. And those are the pictures that you know, that if you know that person, you know who it is. You could quote me on that. 
if you know that person, you know who it is. So as we were wrapping up the show yesterday, we had the breaking news from Louisville about the uh, Breonna Taylor indictment uh, that wasn't an indictment. Have you had enough of Breonna Taylor yet? Because I don't, you know what? I have. So we'll just, <laughs> you know, was it a no-knock warrant? Wasn't it a no-knock warrant? Was it a no-knock warrant that wasn't a no-knock warrant? You know, I, it's all wound up. But my favorite part of the, of the Breonna Taylor world last night was from the, um, retired Los Angeles Police Department Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, who is black, by the way. <laughs> and you'll know that by what she says here. She said, uh, let me say this. As a black woman, and he, she's referring to the Attorney General of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron. You may remember him. He was part of the Republican National Convention a few weeks back. And uh, he was, uh, he's one of the new up and coming young African American black stars. But he's a Republican. He's a conservative. So we can't like him. But he is a strong candidate for saying that black people, black Americans, have reached, you know, high offices in America. So we can't really call him an Uncle Tom, although. We can, but we don't like to. So the new phrase, and I am in love with it. I wish I would have thought of it, but I couldn't because I'm not black. And it would be racist if I thought of this. But as a black woman, according to the retired Los Angeles Police Department Sergeant, Cheryl Dorsey, she's commenting about uh, Daniel Cameron, the Attorney General of Kentucky. Let me say this. As a black woman, he does not speak for black folks. He's skin folk, but he's not kin folk. He does not speak for all of us. <laughs> I guess you do. Uh, retired Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey of the Los Angeles Police Department. You do speak for all of you. Oh, okay. All right. But I still say, what a tremendous line. And if she thought of it, great, great line Cheryl Dorsey he's skin folk but he's not kin folk you know what a lot of conservatives would say that about oh I don't know about the Nazis or about the far right wing lunatics uh, or the KKK a lot of white folks would say that about them they're skin folk but not kin folk I like it So I'm fired up. Uh, Fat Bear Week is is up and running, coming around the corner. The annual Katmai National Park and Preserve annual Fat Bear Week. Uh, the online tournament to honor the fattest of the fat bears. Now, it uh, last year we talked to uh, one of the one of the park rangers at Katmai. I'm hoping to reach out and have them on the air, maybe even more than once this year for Fat Bear Week. And uh, it's up and running. Now, on their Facebook page, they say uh, the Brooks Bears face-off is uh, just days away. Um, to participate in hashtag Fat Bear Week, single elimination tournament to determine who will be crowned 2020's fattest bear on Brooks River. For each pairing of bears, you'll be giving an opportunity to vote on the brand new Fat Bear Week website coming soon. As soon as we have that website, I'll let you know what it is. Votes will be considered final at 6 p.m. Alaska time on the day of the post, and the bear with the most votes advances. Only one will receive the title of the fattest bear. There can be only one. And you can watch the cams all week long. It's awesome to see these bears eating, and actually, I mean, you notice they're getting fatter and fatter. And amazingly, all the bears don't look alike. <laughs> it's just like humans. <laughs> uh, it's funny. So when you see them, you'll know that, hey, that's my bear. That is my bear. 
I mean, there's only like 2,200 bears left up there. Uh, I, I shouldn't say left. There's more than 2,200 brown bears that call Cavani National Park home. And I, I got it. It's one of the premier viewing areas in the world. All right. So there's only 2,200 left at the park. And you can volume what they, they say that if the fatter they are, they could hibernate for like six months without eating a thing. <laughs> I mean, who can't do that? <laughs> but I feel like I got to go back and look. But I kind of feel like last year, the winner, Holly, was ripped off. I kind of feel like that the one that should have won, I, I just feel like one of them got ripped off. And I don't remember which one. I'm going to go back and look at the look at the, the the layout of the Bears. But Holly won, of course. And, you know, congratulations, congratulations, Holly, for winning Fat Bear Week. But I feel like, if I remember right, Holly, uh, eh, the fix was in. Uh, I feel like uh, I feel like my man, uh, one of them got ripped off. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at the chart right now. Wasn't it? It was 775 Lefty. I think Lefty was fatter. And there may have even been another one. I got to go back and look at the look at the layout because I, I I just think there was another bear that got ripped off early on in the process and that left Holly to win it which meant the fix was in anyway fat bear week coming up and when it starts we will uh, we will cover it I mean in depth here on chewing the fat as long as we're in Alaska I might as well have had this story uh, I was you know it was going to end up being in fat pile Friday tomorrow but as we're in Alaska we might as well stay there a UK couple said their dream of winning their own Alaskan lodge in a reality TV show uh, turned into a nightmare um, they were ripped off they were swindled they were hoodwinked remember the quote from Polar Express from the hobo you don't want to be bamboozled. You don't want to be led down the primrose path. You don't want to be conned or duped. Have the wool pulled over your eyes. Hoodwinked. You don't want to be taken for a ride. Railroaded. Seeing is believing. Am I right? That's the actual quote from Polar Express. Probably one of my favorite lines from the movie. So this couple were on the show, um, Win the Wilderness. It aired uh, in the it's a BBC show. And they competed against they competed against five other couples for a chance to win this uh, this homestead, eighty miles uh, northwest of Mount McKinley. Four week challenge. They chowed down bear meat, stew, plunged into freezing water, and they paid off. They won, and they were to take over the three story home without running water. Then, the lady seventy six had a heart operation and passed away. The widower started taking care of a little business with somebody else and said, mm, you know what? I'm not giving it up. Well, wait, we're the, we're the owners now. Yeah. No, nope, I scattered her ashes out and, uh, I'm not giving it up anymore. No, but, but we're the official owners of the, the legal owners of the place now. Yeah. No, I'm not giving it up. Oh, <laughs> okay. He announced he's reclaiming the home from foreigners who don't care about my wishes <laughs> he married the new babe and he's not giving it up okay so i guess i don't know what happens i really don't know what happens the tv show i guess probably has to foot the bill what are you gonna sue the guy you're gonna make him get out drag him out of his house i, mean, I guess i guess that's what you do the tv show was the one that made the deal right so they've got to be, maybe they sign the deal and say, hey, this is what it was worth. You went through the show. You won. Here's the money. Get out of here. I would say if that happens, make them pay the taxes. Make them give you the amount of money they offer you, but they pay the taxes on the money. Just call me and we'll work out the deal. You don't want that house anyway. The place is a dump. It's out there by Mount McKinley. 80 miles northwest of Mount McKinley. You don't want to live there anyway, right? You're only on that reality show for the heck of it. <laughs> it's three-story home without running water. I bet it has running water now, though. I bet the new wife of uh, of our boy Dwayne uh, takes care of a little business and has some running water out there. Guarantee you that. So... And he's not, you know, they've been calling. Hello, hello, it's us. Well, we're going to be moving, coming in. Nope. No, you're not. <laughs> All right. 
All right. Thank you. According to the couple, they said that, uh, well, we would do it all again, of course. Uh, it was fun. We don't regret a thing. We'd do it all again, but this time not win it. Why? Oh, because we've been just, just devastated that he hasn't given us this three-story house without running water in it up in the mountains. Okay. All right. Whatever. I guess, uh, you know, you're still going to fight for the three-story place without any running water. But congratulations. Congratulations for winning that reality TV show. Download and subscribe to more content at theblaze.com slash podcasts. So for those of you that are members of Costco, I used to be. I'm not now. I'm just a Sam's Club member now. But uh, I used to have them both. And, they, you know, they're okay. I don't know. I, we just decided that Sam's Club was, uh, you know, closer and more what we like. But, it's a, you know, whatever. So they have the $1.50 hot dog and soda combo at Costco at their, at their food court. And I read the story about the uh, meeting between current CEO, W. Craig Jelinek, who once told, uh, uh, well, he was the current CEO at the time. He told uh, Singal they needed to raise the price of the hot dog soda combo. And has it gone up since the 80s, the buck 50 for a hot dog and a soda. And he said that uh, once I said that to Jim, we can't sell this hot dog for a buck 50. Jelinek said, um, if you raise the price of the effing hot dog, I will kill you. Figure it out. That's all I really needed. That's all I really needed, he said. According to the company magazine, uh, the food court has been around since the mid-80s when the company began testing a single hot dog cart in front of the San Diego warehouse. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, even stores. I remember when uh, when I worked uh, at a grocery store. I don't know if you know this. I worked in Florida uh, at a grocery store. Yeah. Yeah, I worked there for a long time. And uh, I remember a store manager, what, he would do this on the weekends. He would get a little barbecue grill, one of those little cheap, you know, barbecue grills that they sell at the grocery store. And you, you buy that and you buy a bag of charcoal and you get yourself some, uh, you fire it up and you get yourself some company hot dogs with a company hot dog buns and some company sodas and you sell and a company chips and you sell a hot dog, a soda and a chip for, at that time, back in the you know, the mid 1800s when I was working there, I, I don't even remember how much he was selling it for. It was like a buck or maybe a buck. You know, it was, well, I don't think it was, it was in the eighties. I, I don't remember. I don't know what he sold it for, but he made a fortune, right? Because you, you just, people buy them out of the crowd. That's, well, that's what he was doing at Costco. And so they have changed, you know, from soda cans to fountain drinks. And then they, you know, supply their own hot dogs instead of using other brands. I'm sure that was, you know, that was part of the deal. And so according to one employee, the company makes eight cents on every hot dog combo deal. Well, I mean, that's still making something, right? That's not enough. According to them, you know, that's obviously, uh, you know, uh, a deal, right? Where you're there, it's a, it's a, you know, a loss leader. You know, you sell something for less money or cheaper than you really have to, but it gets people into the store, right? And that's what they want. They want you to have a, a good experience, a happy experience as your last experience at Costco. So you come back. Now, um, he gave an interview with a reporter in 2009 and the reporter said, so if that price ever goes up, what will it mean? The answer, I am dead. We're known for that hot dog. That's something you don't mess with. Amen. Amen. Just threaten someone with their life. They do what you say. <laughs> so Wells Fargo continuing to dig a hole bigger than ever. Their CEO, Charlie Schwarf, uh, angered some employees this summer when he said there was a limited pool of black talent to recruit from. Well, that cannot stand. He said a very limited talent pool was the reason for the lack of black employees at the bank. 4.1% of Wells Fargo's senior workforce was black in 2018, down from 8% down to, from 8% in 2015. So uh, his comments echoed past justifications for the financial industry's abysmal track record with diversity. But critics argue it's a cover-up for insufficient recruiting efforts. 
Well, 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 we can't have that. I mean, City has made a hefty pledge. It's earmarked a billion dollars for initiatives that help close the U.S. racial wealth gap and provide economic resources for people of color. That means investments in black-owned businesses, boosting credit access in communities of color, and helping increase black home ownership. Cisco made a pledge of its own. The networking equipment company vowed to increase the number of black employees in entry level to manager positions by 25% in the next three years. Cisco has no black people in its executive leadership team. Uh, Well, we cannot have that. That cannot be. I mean... In boardrooms, according to this, African-Americans made up 10% of new director appointments in the Fortune 500 last year, compared with 13% of the U.S. population. Uh, New Hispanic directors were even more scarce, according to the study. Well, you wouldn't think that CEO Charlie Shorff would back down, would you? Oh, wait. Yes. Yes, you would. He has since apologized and sent out a memo to the employees. Our commitment to change memo was, wow, I apologize for making an insensitive comment reflecting on my own unconscious bias. (laughs) There are many talented and diverse individuals working at Wells Fargo and throughout the financial services industry, and I never meant to imply otherwise. Well, you really didn't. You just said it was a lack of finding the talent, but hey, that's okay because you can't No way. I've worked in the financial services industry for many years, and it's clear to me that across the industry, we've not done enough to improve diversity, especially at senior leadership levels. There's no question Wells Fargo has to make meaningful progress to increase diverse representation. As I said in June, I have committed that this time must be different. So they're reaching out to diverse talent. The memo goes on. They're anti-racism training course a new live anti-racism training course is being developed we'll share more information as details come together the senior leadership accountability well the operating committee leaders have been working with their diversity and inclusion consultants and hr business partners to integrate dni into their business plans and reviews and each Operating committee member is an executive sponsor for at least one of our team members' networks. And we we can't live without the diversity and inclusion consultants. Executive compensation as part of the year-end evaluation process. Operating committee members will be evaluated based upon their progress in improving diverse representation and inclusion in the area of responsibility. These evaluations will have a direct impact on year-end compensation decisions. Oh. Okay, so they're gonna, it's going to be up to the diversity and inclusion consultants. I, no, I'm sorry, the operating committee members to decide whether, hey, whether you get any money or you don't get any money, or you get any bonuses, you don't get any bonus. Wells Fargo has been in trouble anyway. So good luck, God bless. Have a nice day. I wasn't a big fan of them anyway, but uh, you know that just is uh, bending the knee, and that's the way it goes. And, I mean, that's in today's world. What are you doing? How do you get away with that? That was way back in June, though. So how could you see that you you needed the diversity and inclusion team up and running by then? That was just dumb. Way back in June. Wow, what an idiot. And if you were or are a Quibi fan, and I was in the beginning... um, uh, They've already started doing articles about why Quibi failed. (laughs) I mean, they're still up and running. But apparently they have 2 million paying subscribers. I don't know that I buy that, but their goal was over 7 million, which no way they hit that. Uh, Katzenberg and Meg Whitman apparently are not really seeing eye to eye now. They're busy fighting infighting. And they've got the lawsuit filed by the video company alleging Quibity infringed on the patented technology. And Katzenberg had blamed everything on coronavirus, and that's just the way it is. Uh, I would say no to that. I would say uh, there were problems from the very beginning. Uh, Coronavirus certainly didn't help that. The lockdown didn't help them, although they could have postponed their launch. Would have helped a little because they were trying. Their sale was, you know, in between moments. And, geez, I wonder who else does in between moments. You know, YouTube, TikTok. Instagram, I mean, whatever, that's fine. 
But really where they got killed was their shows. They made some bad choices on shows. And I think that if they need to go back and look at that, they made some bad choices on shows and they made some bad choices on who got a lot of money for shows that weren't that good. Uh, I like a lot of their shows. No, let me rephrase that. I like a few of their shows. The overall content on Quibi, not that good. Not that good, really. Jeff, I told you you should have called me from the beginning. Meg, I told you to call me and you didn't. So that's a problem. You should have called me. Plus, remember in the beginning, you couldn't bring it up on your TV. It was just for your phone. That's it. And you can't, and they, they wouldn't, you couldn't uh, uh, turn your phone. So you had the the widescreen look. It had to be just the, the phone screen. It was unbelievable. And I couldn't, I couldn't mirror it to my TV, which was really a bad move. Now that's changed. But it changed too late because people wanted to share it. They wanted to watch a show with other people and share it at the time, even though it wasn't between moments. But, okay, so let's say you thought about giving the sharing option later on down the road. Well, you you launched during the coronavirus when everyone was home. So they were sharing what they were watching. And everybody wanted to share what they were watching, but couldn't. You were stuck just watching it on your phone. There was no way to share little bits and pieces of the shows to your social media accounts to promote Quibi. It was all just word of mouth. It was all people like me doing YouTube videos on what to do with Quibi and being disappointed that they couldn't do what they wanted to do with it. So, good luck. Good luck to Quibi. Uh, they're looking for, they still got, I guess they still have some cash in the bank. I mean, they were given a lot of money, you know, billions. It was a good idea. It just was implemented wrong. Uh, they are, they still have some cash, but not as much as they'd like. And they, if they go out looking for more cash, that kind of means that they realize they're done, right? If you go out looking for more cash after that original influx, Ooh, what happened? Why are you asking for more money now? We gave you all this money. Why didn't you create something that was great and is already up and running? And, uh, you know, you're, you are fighting against all these other companies. You're not a standalone thing. So if you still need help, I know, look, Jeff and Meg, you guys are, uh, you know, are great. And, uh, you know, you've done a lot of great things in the past, but, uh, you know, call me or just email me chewing the fat at the blaze.com and we'll get together. And we'll work out a new game plan for Quibi. You have no idea how I'd like to do that. That would be fun. But I have a feeling between you and me, Katzenberg and Whitman probably aren't going to be emailing Chewing the Fat. Wish they would, though. <laughs>